Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I've been in Mexico this, this entire week on a work trip. Um, they just take us on a vacation uh, every year somewhere uh, down south to escape the winter. Um, and it turns out I opened this morning, and I'm speaking this morning. So you have no idea how many alarms I set <laughs> to make sure that I was here and that I was awake. But if you could turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, this series titled Living for Christ. I'm hoping that we'll finish the book of Colossians um, by March. Uh, Mid-March, I think, is when I'm uh, scheduled to speak until. So Living for Christ. And we'll read Colossians 3 because there's a couple verses at the tail end that we're going to focus the next couple weeks on. Uh, there's just so much there for us. But I want to read the chapter in its entirety for the sake of context and to remind us, because it's been a while since I last spoke. But Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Almost everything that we have talked about in Colossians up until now is focused on the individual. We've focused on the individual looking heavenward, 
having that eternal perspective as we live our lives here in this world. And so for three chapters, we've talked about and focused on the individual, the individual putting off the old self and putting on the new man, that daily fighting for the kingdom of God, anticipating the Lord's return to setting our minds on things above. And now Paul broadens the audience. Paul brings into view how the Christian should live in the world. So there's been three chapters understanding who Christ is and the reasoning for why we exist and live in the world today. And now Paul is going to go on for a little bit of what that looks like practically in our lives as we interact with each other. How we should practically live out what we have just been taught for the past three chapters. Society as a whole has one major problem, an obstacle that it has struggled with and made war against since the very beginning. People. We see it in Cain and Abel. One brother having a grudge against another. All the way to a man having a hatred against an entire race and seeking to exterminate them all. History is marred by people not getting along. You look at the history of war in not only our society, but in the world as a whole. What are wars based on? Because we don't get along. We don't get along. We fight. We argue. We kill. History is marred by people not getting along. Wars have been made. Friendships have been broken. Marriages have been devastated. Entire civilizations have collapsed. All because we don't get along. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says... What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The desire for me and me alone. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You fight. You quarrel. You seek to spend things on your passions, your desires. A self-centered focus is what society is built on. Man, apart from God, is ruthlessly evil. And he will do whatever it takes to get ahead and to indulge himself in whatever he sees fit. And it's been that way since the beginning. That has not changed at all. Just getting back from a work retreat, when you shove 350 people that are about the age of 30 into a place with unlimited alcohol, unlimited anything that you can imagine, you really see the depravity of man. And although the the trip was, was amazing in of itself between everyone here, you just see the depravity of mankind. And what people, the lengths that people will go to, to indulge themselves. Man apart from God is ruthlessly evil. But Christianity comes along and shatters that mold. And I'm being overly simplistic here. Christ comes along and shatters the mold. Christianity is not just personal. It's not just personal. When you become a Christian, you become part of something that is bigger than yourself. It's the only time that you are legitimately part of a community, a family. What you see in the world is that everyone is out for themselves. 
They veil it under the guise of family and societal morals, but in reality there is nothing that binds anyone together. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you belong and have an identity. Part of that is legitimately caring for those around you, as we'll see and we'll get into. Family life, work life, personal life, all of it revolves around Christ. It doesn't revolve around us. Paul has been discussing the new man in chapter 3, the transformation that has taken place, right? That the old man has been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The new man. The transformation that has taken place, the putting off of the old man and putting on Christ. That is to be our daily routine. And now he begins to discuss the new man's relationship with other people. So not only are you to dress yourself as the new man, but how am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to interact with those around me? Paul gets into that here. Paul doesn't just list out a series of positions within an already existing society. No, he lists for us a new wife, a new husband, a new child, a new father, a new master, a new servant. Suddenly and wonderfully, this new man's view of society changes. Right? Society as a whole has marriage. They get married. They get married, they have kids, they have children, they have uh, homes. And so what's different about Christianity? So Paul here identifies, he says, this isn't just wives and husbands and children like the rest of the world has. This is a new wife, this is a new husband because you've put on the new man, it's a new perspective. It's completely different. And although at times it might look similar to the rest of the world, it is to be completely different from the world. Begins to discuss the new man's relationship with other people. And this new man's view of society that has changed is all because of the transformation that Christ has done in him. Paul highlights something that I think we often don't consider. Yes, Paul highlights that we are not of this world, that our citizenship is in heaven. We are to be looking heavenward. That's the goal of the first three chapters, to be looking at Christ. But what does he do here? We are not to exist independently of society. Building a relationship with God and no one else, that's not the goal with Christianity, is to build a relationship with God and no one else and just focus on ourselves. We are to be social. In fact, I would say that Christians are to be some of the most social people in the world. It's by our interactions with the world that we can reach the world. And certainly not from a soapbox. Everyone else in the world is trying to ram their message down society's throats from a soapbox. Christians are to be relational. They're to be relational. Look at Christ's ministry when he was here in the world. He went out. He went out. He was tired. He was exhausted. He walked. The Lord of all creation had dirty feet. He walked. He went to get away and grieve, but people kept coming to him and he had compassion on them. Yes, people hated him and wanted to kill him, but he related to people in a way that no one else had done. He came down. He came down. Think of it. The God of the universe spent time with man. While I was in Mexico, 
SpaceX, a private space corporation, launched for the first time. It's called the Falcon Heavy. And I was, super, I was really excited to see the launch. I love that stuff. Um, but the Wi-Fi was super spotty uh, at the resort, so I kind of bummed out. I saw that it was successful after. I was wanting to watch it live. Um, but they were launching this Falcon Heavy rocket. It's the largest rocket uh, currently in operation in the world. And when that thing launched, I mean, you see it blast right off. It's launching into space, and, and the Elon Musk, the CEO of, of SpaceX and Tesla, he put one of his cars uh, in the top of it. That's the, the payload that he was sending into space to orbit around Mars and spend some time around the sun. Um, and so there was his vehicle. You see it. It finally launches out into space, and you see this vehicle with a dummy sitting in the, passenger, in, in the driver's seat um, with a sign on the screen that says, Don't panic. And you just see this vehicle in space with the world behind it. It was kind of a funny picture. And a lot of people were claiming it was fake just because it looks so weird. Um, but I, when I was seeing those pictures, I thought, man, God is in command of all of this. Why did he come here? The God of the universe spent time on this earth. A little blue sphere just hanging in the balance, just rotating around the sun. The God of the universe spent time with here and related to people in a way that no one else had. No Greek or Roman God would ever have the time for people. They were too busy bickering with one another anyways, and obviously none of those are real. But isn't it interesting how mankind made gods who complained and fought each other? That's mankind's version of a god, is one who complains and fights. They created man. But our God visited us and came here. And so in this section, Paul has been leading up to this point, and he says right here in verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1, he shows us the Christian stronghold. Christian stronghold? Where should we first focus our attention? The most strategic place where Christianity should have an impact is in the home. That's where Paul begins. Again, this isn't just a regular home like everyone else in the world. This is a new home and should be treated as such. I believe Paul starts in the home to point out to us that if our own home is not influenced by Christianity then it will be impossible for us to reach out to the world. It starts in the home. The greatest mission field that you will ever be a part of is in the home. The greatest mission field that you will ever be a part of is in the home. That's where it starts. And my parents drilled this into me. And I'm so thankful for Christian parents for a mom who would wake up super early and pray for her kids. That's my most vivid memory of my mom, is waking up a little bit early because I couldn't sleep and seeing her in her chair praying to God for us. It starts in the home. It starts in the home, and that's where Paul starts. <clears throat> And Paul lists out three relationships that occur in the home. Now remember, society was set up a little different than we have here. But the three relationships that occur in the home are between a wife and a husband, 
between children and parents, and between a servant and master. And Aristotle would even list these three pairs as he would describe a home in his time. We often apply servant and master to the workforce, but Paul here in the context of this passage is talking about the home, that there would be servants working in a home and masters who are in charge of them, and ultimately the master of the home. Being a new man, you are ruled by the peace of Christ in verse 15 of chapter 3. We've seen that in our last series. You are ruled by the word of Christ in verse 16 and by the name of Christ in verse, six, in verse 17. Again, I'll just repeat that. You're ruled by the peace of Christ in verse 15. You're ruled by the word of Christ, verse 16. And you're ruled by the name of Christ in verse 17. Now, there's a lot going on. Obviously, this new man will have a huge impact on the home. Huge impact. Notice that Paul makes quick statements about how you should live and interact with those around you. I mean, there's only a couple verses here of how the home should work. It's very brief. He's spent the better part of three chapters describing Christ in vivid detail, some of the most beautiful descriptions of who Christ is and what Christ has done in all of Scripture. He spent time detailing all of it, the intricacies of what Christ has done for us. But now we just see a couple verses here. A couple verses. When it comes to practically living it out, he spends less than a chapter. And this is all purposeful when you look at it. He pinpoints the areas that we so easily fail at and hits them head on. And we'll be looking at that over the next couple weeks. Paul begins, us, begins to show us how Christianity affects the home. Now notice something. The home is based on two fundamentals. Authority and submission. Are those new? Are, are those concepts new to Christianity? No. They are not new. The world has been based on that. Someone rules and someone else follows. We've seen that all through human history. So what Paul is talking about isn't anything brand new to the world. But I want you to see what is introduced. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, what does it say? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, you are serving the Lord Christ. And verse 1 of chapter 4, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The essential ingredient in the Christian home is Christ. Now, I know that seems overly simplistic. It kind of seems mundane and a given. You know, well, we're Christians. It's in our name. But how often do we forget that Christ is to be the main ingredient, not just a little bit of seasoning? He's to be the main ingredient in our homes, in whatever relationship we have within our homes. In the verse, verse 17 of 3, of chapter 3, what does it say? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, however you affect other people's lives, anything that you do, anything that you touch is to be done under the banner of Christ. 
not for selfish ambition or gain, is to be done for Christ and Him alone. A Christian home is not defined by having verses on the walls. It's not defined by having a gold-rimmed Bible sitting out on the coffee table as, as a talking point. It's not defined by a hashtag. Rather, it is defined by the very presence of God. Whatever your home is and whatever you do in your home, there is to be a singular purpose, namely to bring glory to God. That is the purpose of the home. Christ's presence is what makes the home possible and what makes the family what it ought to be. At work over the last couple months, I've seen marriages be devastated, relationships be torn apart, and everybody wants to talk to me on how to fix it. And I just feel like saying, all you're missing is Christ. He's the only thing that's going to fix it. He's the only thing that holds a family together. He's the only thing that holds a relationship together. And Paul identifies that here. Christ is sprinkled within the description of the home. You cannot have a Christian home without Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. If Christ is not visible and present in your home, you need to reconsider your home. Before we dive into Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, I want to go over to Ephesians. Because I feel there's kind of a bit of groundwork that is necessary before diving in directly about wives and husbands. So Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 15 for the sake of time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, that's the key to successful marriage. Wives submitting to husbands is a very touchy subject. It's divided churches, it's divided marriages, it's divided families. But we often forget that everyone in the body of Christ should be submitting to one another for Christ's sake. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. The pattern of submission is global. And it's not just broad in its application, just kind of tossed out to apply to everything. But we see that there's focus as well. The idea of submission is sprinkled throughout the New Testament. Submitting to everyone, submitting to leaders of the church, submitting yourselves to the laws of the land, submitting to those who are older than you, and ultimately submitting to God. Submitting to God. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that we are not to do anything with selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. That is to be the, the standard. To consider others before yourself. That's not the pattern of the world. 
The pattern of the world is we're told to look after ourselves first, and then if we have any energy left over, well, we can kind of sprinkle that amongst those immediately in our lives. Whereas Christianity flips it around. It says you spend all your time, you spend all your energy serving the Lord, serving others, and then if you have any kind of energy left over, spend it on someone else. You spend all your energy on others. You consider them more important than yourself. A selfless, selfless life. But the pattern of the world is completely opposite. Marriages that are so centered on self-preservation and self-satisfaction, where either party agrees to continue so long as they get what they want out of it, and if anything changes, they're free to go. That's the pattern of the world. That's the pattern of the world. The idea of meaningful relationships is lost on the world because of their pursuit of self-indulgence, whereas Christian relationships are to be based on self-sacrifice. What we are talking about here is this kind of mutual submission that says, although I may be your leader, your protector, your provider, whatever it is, your longings and your heart's desires and your needs compel me more than my own. That's the idea of submission. Your needs, your longings, your heart's desires compel me more than my own. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Is God superior to Christ? Don't all shout it. No. Are God and Christ one? Yes. Don't you think it's interesting that when a man and woman are joined together in marriage, they become one? See, all marriage is completely a picture of the father and the son. That's what it is. It simply means that in the economy of redemption, Christ submitted himself to the purposes, plan, and power of the father. He was equal and yet submissive. And the Father was completely sensitive to the heart of the Son. Christ willingly submitted himself to the purposes of the Father. He was a king who became a servant. He was rich and became poor. He was sinless yet bore our sins. There is no question that he is the head of man, yet he was a servant of man. Do you see how that's mingled with husbands and wives? And it's so important to understand the relationship between the father and the son in order to understand the relationship that should exist within a godly marriage. So let's go to our text. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, it's such a simple statement, but it's honestly one of the most controversial, controversial verses out of all of Scripture. Let's turn to Titus. Just quickly. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. To further explain this verse. But Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. 
right? That's the goal, is for Christ, to honor Christ in everything that we do. All our interactions, but here we're going to focus on wives. Note in our section in Colossians that wives are not told to obey. That's left to servants and children. Servants and children are instructed to obey, but for the wife, it is submission. And this in no way means that the husband is shouting out commands and the wife is supposed to blindly follow and say, Yes, sir. That's not what that means. It's that you have a spirit of submissiveness. And Paul lovingly says, and I love how he puts it, Submit to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands, your husband. Another thing that people often get hung up on is that this passage indicates that women should submit to all men, further suppressing females. But Paul emphasizes your own. And I love that he places that here. This is something so intimate and personal. This is yours. This is the man that you own. This is your possession. You're not submitting to some impersonal, detached authority figure. This is your own husband. You possess him, and he possesses you. Submission does not mean inferiority. It does not mean that the wife is less than the husband. Was Jesus inferior to God? No. Not in the least. Paul has spent three chapters defining for us that Jesus is equal with God. They're one. He is no less one than God. He is not inferior at all, yet he submitted to the Father. Again, Paul has spent three chapters, three rich chapters explaining that Jesus is God, that Jesus is not inferior at all, yet he submitted. And submission is not absolute either. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, what does it say there? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. There might be a time, wives, there might be a time when your husband asks you to do something that does not line up with what God says. And I emphasize that point. That does not line up with what God says, not just what you might feel like. Because at times there's things that God commands us to do um, that we just don't want to do. And husbands as well. We, uh, next week, be prepared. Um, but there might be times, might be something that your husband commands you to do, not commands, but instructs you to do, that does not line up with what God says, who do you ultimately submit to? God. God. There are times where you might have to say no, that in good conscience, you must say no. And that's why it's so important to know Scripture, to pour over Scripture, to see that, hey... Are things, are they lining up with what God says in his word? Because ultimately, we are to submit to the highest authority possible. It's God. God. Might I add that all these things must be done in love? If you see your husband as your own possession, 
as God's gift to you, as a blessing, as the one who, you're, who you are completely in love with, this will be a natural outpouring of your affection towards him. This is something so intimate between a husband and a wife. In the latter part of verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord. The reasoning for all of this is that God intended it this way. It is the way God designed it to work. In a Christian home, a wife must submit to her husband as is fitting in the Lord. Don't you love that Paul included that there? He's not giving commands and just shouting out, do this, do that. But he wraps it in Christ. He wraps it in Christ. It's all to be done for Christ's glory, for his name's sake. It will be impossible to do a work in the world if the home is not set up the way God intended it. Submission is not responding to authoritative commands, but rather an outpouring of love for the call on a husband's life. It's saying that your longings, your heart's desires, and your needs compel me more than my own. And as we'll see next week, the calling on a husband's life is tremendous. In his love towards his wife and children and ultimately the report that he will give as he stands before Christ and gives an account for the way that he led his home. Wives, I don't think you want the responsibility that your husband has before God. That one day I will stand before Christ and give an account for the way that I have led Ash. To give an account for the way that I have displayed Christ in my marriage. I'm looking forward to eternity, and I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior face to face, but I do not want to be ashamed when I stand before him. The Christian home is such a precious thing, and it's such a safe place as well. But Christ is to be the center. Christ is to be the focus. He is to be everything in the home. That is our aim. That is our goal. That is why God has set up the Christian home the way he has. At times it might look like other homes and other families in the world, but the one thing that the world does not have, the ingredient that makes it all work, is Christ and him alone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we were able to open up your word, and we thank you for the instruction in your word. Lord, we realize the high calling on our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christians, that we are ultimately to submit to you, that we are to serve you and bring glory to you. Father, I pray for every wife here that you might instruct them in the ways of how they are to live their lives at home. How they are to encourage, build up, strengthen their husbands, their children, to teach them, to teach their children in the ways of the Lord. And Father, likewise for the husband, for the father, how he should love his wife and treat her with the utmost respect that is due her as a child of God. That fathers, how they should treat their children, teaching them in the ways of the Lord, building them up, strengthening them, pointing them towards Christ for the account that we will ultimately give. Father, I thank you for your word. 
for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done because we know that all of this would not be possible if it wasn't for him, for his sacrifice, for his submission to you, how he would seek to do the will of the Father and willingly go to a cross. We thank you for Christ today. We thank you for him every day, and we pray that as we leave this place, might we be encouraged in the things of the Lord. Might we rejoice knowing that we are children of God for those who have put their faith and trust in you. Father, might we leave this place excited to serve in every aspect. Might we treat our homes like the mission field that it is. Might we be a display and a billboard for Christ that you might be glorified by the lives that we live. Give us the strength to live lives like that. No matter how difficult it is in this world. We pray that as we leave this place, Lord, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be on our minds, might be on our hearts, might be on our lips. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.